Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term, sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Jan Bergstrom has been in practice as a counselor and trainer in the field of codependency and relational trauma for the past 25 years. She studied extensively with Pia Melody, a pioneer in treating childhood trauma. Jan also practices Susan Johnson's emotionally focused therapy, as well as Terry Reel's relational life therapy model for couples. Jan is also a somatic experiencing practitioner. Jan's personal experience with childhood trauma set the stage for a lifelong interest in its impact and sparked her passion for healing others. Today, based on a framework created by Pia Melody, Jan wrote her book, Gifts from a Challenging Childhood, Creating a Practice for Becoming Your Healthiest Self. Jan lives in the Boston area with her husband of 30 years and is the mother of two adult sons. As a therapist and guide to others, Jan lives a restorative practice and reaps its many gifts in her life. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jan. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So one of the things I wanted to jump right into (laughs) is actually the word trauma, because trauma (laughs) seems to be more and more in the vernacular nowadays, but not everybody really knows exactly what it is. So I'm wondering if you can answer the simple question What is trauma work? Yeah, you know, the word trauma, I think, um, scares some people because they say to me, oh, I I didn't have any trauma growing up. And and so the people who, let's say, were sexually abused or beaten or verbally abused, uh, those people say, yes, I have abuse and that is trauma. But one of the things that we're finding out and we're seeing more and more is that trauma is now incorporating the word neglect. (laughs) And neglect is becoming a big thing in the field of psychotherapy. I mean, it's, it's really hard to treat because neglect is really what people didn't get when they were growing up. So they don't really know what they didn't get, but they didn't get anything. Um, And so that's usually in the areas of their needs, emotional nurturing, physical nurturing, guidance from a parent, all those things that have to do with being relational and really connected and attached. So um, when we talk about trauma, we're talking about uh, what I call overt abuse. So that would be slapping, kicking, yelling, screaming, punching, uh, sexual abuse, anything like that. And we're looking at the other side of trauma as being neglect or, or abandonment, basically. So one of the things that trauma seems to leave in in our clients is this sense of helplessness, hopelessness, and a feeling like, I don't know how to treat it. I don't know how to get better from this. It it seems so mysterious to me. 
it, I know that, that I'm just not who I want to be, but I, I just feel at the mercy of it. So how do you actually move towards healing with your clients? Well, many of my clients, <laughs> and because I've, doing, I've done these intensives for almost 17 years, uh, will say to me, you know, why should I dig up the past? Especially if um, people have done uh, some really solid recovery work uh, because they don't want to uh, get dysregulated and dig up the past. So they want to keep it in the past. But I say to them that it's really uh, a lot of the trauma or what they got in their childhood that's still uh, running the present day in their lives. And it's underneath a lot of addictions, of course. And so where do you start? And this is one of the things that um, as a somatic practitioner, I really got clear on is that the body needs to be regulated, uh, the nervous system. Uh, we need to find a place in ourselves that can be mindful and to observe ourselves with curiosity and not judgment. And, um, and of course, because I did study with PML for years, uh, I use her five core, I call practices for healthy living. Uh, and the last part of what people have to uh, really foster in order to go in and do any kind of trauma work uh, or healing work is being able to, uh, I call it reparenting. It's, it's a self-talk of these historical places that kind of pop up in our lives today and learning how to be relational with that. So that's kind of what I say to people when they say, where do you start your healing process? A lot of the healing process starts in kind of cultivating this place in ourselves so we can go in and see exactly what happened when you were growing up. So you mentioned the five core practices of PM Melody. Can you share a little bit more specifics about what that entails? Yeah, so she created this about 40 years ago when it was called codependency. And, um, and it's really her uh, out of her overview of developmental immaturity that she came up with these five areas that we all struggle in. And so I just turned them into core practices for a healthy self. And they are starting out with uh, this whole practice of loving the self, which has to do with self-esteem and holding yourself with inherent worth. And the second core practice is, uh, is called boundaries. It's called protecting the self. So it's really looking at what are functional boundaries. It's not just physical or external boundaries or sexual boundaries, like who touches me. It's internal boundaries, which has to do with how information comes into me and what I take in and what I put out when I'm speaking to someone. Uh, the third core practice that uh, she talks about is this practice of reality. <laughs> and it's such a strange word, but it's, it's really knowing the self. And it's learning to figure out and focus on what's happening with me right now. Like, what am I thinking? What are the emotions that I'm feeling? And where is it happening in my body? Like, I, I know that trauma, because of trauma, we all disconnect. Uh, from many of our emotions and our bodies because it's trauma, it's traumatic. So 
This third practice I'm talking about is really knowing the self. Uh, the fourth core practice is really about self-care. And this practice has to do with figuring out what I need and want and how I'm interdependent with others around my needs and wants. So I call taking care of the self and your needs and wants. And the fifth core practice is, I think is, is great. It's called moderation, which is just learning to be in balance and moderation in our lives. So that those practices are daily things that <laughs> practices that really actually help regulate me and bring me into my healthiest self. That sounds fantastic. I think I could use some of that myself at all times, actually. <laughs> but I want to just review that for our listeners, because it's very powerful stuff. And it's also very comprehensive. So what I heard you say, Jan, is number one, loving yourself. Number two, yeah. protecting yourself. Number three, knowing yourself. Number four, taking care of yourself. And number five, balancing yourself. Is that fair right. to okay. That's exactly how it goes. Beautiful. And they are they are practices. It's nothing that you just get once. You have to practice them every day. Right. And I think that's so important for those of us, including our clients who might have tendencies toward immediate gratification and mm -hmm. wanting things done quickly and, and simply and Really what you're saying, I believe, is how can we integrate those practices into our life on a daily basis with as much consistency as possible? Exactly. That's terrific. And because those are the areas, those are the very core areas that where trauma, um, whether it was neglect or whether it was abuse when you're growing up, that you were actually wounded in. And so we could all... <laughs> work those areas for quite some time and really but through the working or the practicing of them it creates a sense of balance and kind of a centeredness and groundedness so one thing i'm curious about as you're talking is that these principles or these core practices really could be for anybody yes but we're talking about folks in recovery from various types of trauma various types of addiction, or of course, both addiction and trauma. But really, these are, are principles that could be applied to, to anybody who could use that awareness, that mindfulness, that ability to really pay attention to oneself. Exactly. In fact, um, I have a lot of clients that are in recovery and, uh, you know, working their 12-step program and having a sponsor and and many of them have many years of recovery and they take to this like a fish to water. I mm -hmm. mean, they're like, this is, this is just, I totally get this. And I, I, I think it's, it's foundational work that needs to be done by actually everyone. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I, and I just want to add that I, I think when something has such simplicity that it also can be very profound. Yes. And I really appreciate the, the way this has been, uh, presented because it, it really feels so tangible and so realistic for anybody to, to understand. Right. Many people say to me, well, if I have to go into my history and I get dysregulated, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, you're going to learn how to live 
in that regulated place that's grounded in the body, that's mindful, that you're not in judgment and you're curious about what you're looking at, you are going to be living in the middle of those five core practices. And um, lastly is that I talk about it in my book about self-talk, uh, learning how to reparent these places that didn't really get a lot of what they needed when they were growing up in their dysfunctional family. Sure, sure. So to circle back to something, let's say you have a person walk into your office, they have clearly a, a sex addiction problem, but they also mm-hmm. have a trauma history as long as the phone book, right? Mm-hmm. And they say to you, you know, I, I, I've been in program now for a little while. I have done a formal disclosure with my wife. I've, I've done so much work around it. Why would I go backwards in order to learn these patterns of my past? What, what, what good is that going to do me? How, how would you respond to someone like that? Well, what I usually say is um, that these places from the past, whether, and I love the word that you used in your book, um, Andrew, uh, brokenheartedness, Mm. uh, because these are these places, whether it's neglect and they're not connected or attached, or they've been abused and they feel like their parents hate them and they carry so much shame, that that's really running, that's the kind of Uh, baseline that's running underground, I believe, of all addictions. And you have to go in and really start uh, being with yourself differently uh, and getting the story straight, like what happened to you. And that's one of the things that we talk about. I talk about in my book is this idea of getting your story straight, like understanding what because your parents were the parents and you were the child. It wasn't your fault that you were in this family system and parents have to be accountable. And so these, so these, uh, let's say my client is living in a family that was so dysfunctional that that is really what's once they get clear on that, it wasn't their fault and they start working with understanding what happened to them. They're going to understand these patterns that they show up today in their relationships and really how to go in and start healing them. Sure. So one of the things I wanted to share with you, because this was something that was very powerful for me personally, I was doing some consulting work for the bridge to recovery out of Bowling Green, Mm. Kentucky. And as part of becoming a consultant, they asked me to go through the two week process residentially. And so there I was at the, at, the bridge to recovery for two weeks and they, they focus on trauma and addictions and codependency and a lot of other things that go along with with that. But one of the exercises which will never leave me is the life story piece. And one, what we needed to do is write our life story from birth or possibly in utero to the present. And then we had to present that life story to our cohort. And what stayed with me is, uh, number one, I had never done that. But number two, it was a cohesive story for the first time ever. I mean, I've done tons of therapy along the way, but I had (laughs) never done, I mean, how many of us sit down and write our life story? So I just wanted to add that because I think that's part of what you're 
referring to as part of the reparenting, as part of, part of the mending of the brokenheartedness, as far as feeling more cohesive with who we are from birth to, to the present. So I, I, I can't agree more because it, it just hit me so deeply. And, and to this day, I, I kind of get goosebumps because it, it just was such a um, freeing and a liberating experience for sure. Exactly. I have clients that say for the first time in their life when they do, it's what I work with them getting their story straight is similar to that, not exact. But they say that they've never had anyone when I work with them um, and they get their story straight, really feel like they've been validated, affirmed and understood what they went through. And that in itself was life changing for them. And for them to realize that it wasn't their fault, uh, that they were they worked so hard in the family system to be good and perfect and they never measured up and they think it was something was wrong with them. And I have to what I call reverse that. Uh, what I'm trying to do when I work with people is make them hyper empathic to themselves and hypo empathic to their parents. Many times people say, I have to take care of my mom. I felt so sorry for her. I felt so sorry for my dad. And they, uh, we reverse that so that I become hyper empathic to myself and what I went through and hypo with my parents rather than feeling them all the time. That's great. I also want to just say that once someone's blind spots are revealed, once we shine the, the light with them on those blind spots, they can never be blind spots again. And exactly. And so part of what I think you're, you're giving, which is really the gift of therapy and a process uh, like this, is that opportunity to know more about what really was theirs, what wasn't theirs, and how to take ownership of, of what happened, but also not feel like somehow they're stuck in, in victim mode or martyr mode or blame okay. mode or, or any of those things, because it's, it's just energy that doesn't help anybody. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I did my uh, survivor's workshop intensive with Pia Melody, <laughs> mm. and it that was life-changing for me. Wow. <laughs> that rear. I talk about this in my book. She rearranged my furniture. <laughs> that's, that's the term I use because I, I went in thinking one thing. And I remember the day I walked out of the workshop, I was thinking, I, I don't, what just happened? <laughs> right. So it was very powerful. I can't even imagine because when, when I did one of her final um, pit trainings, um, the what does PIT stand for? I can't even remember. Do you remember? Post-induction training. Thank you. Thank you. I think I was at one of her very last ones and I, I was totally love addicted to Pia. I mean, she (laughs) rearranges the furniture in such a way that is, is so intuitive and so powerful. And so she makes it look so easy. And (laughs) I can't even, I can't even imagine sitting there and having her, give you that gift but it's it, it, it's a wonderful thing that I, I can only imagine has led to the work and development and expansion in in your life both personally and professionally absolutely yeah. absolutely I'm sure we could sit here for many hours just talking about Pia Melody and the impact that she's had on 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 us um, but, <laughs> but I'm gonna go on with the next uh, question yeah but but Definitely, I think um, 
kind of honoring her for what she for the legacy that she's left is is exactly incredible exactly. yeah mm-hmm. so when you're talking about reparenting and in in particular reparenting historical parts what, what what's the purpose what's the therapeutic direction <laughs> or healing <clears throat> that goes along with that well one of the things that um I mean, this is, Pia calls it inner child work. I call it reparenting. And it's really talking about that when a child grows up and becomes an adolescent, grows up in family, that really we have these adaptive historical parts of us that were adapted or formed to survive some of the dysfunction that was in our family. And so when you get your story straight and you figure out where those, what those parts are, part of the inner child or reparenting work has to do with when you get triggered today and you drop into your adolescent or teenage self, (laughs) which is very different than dropping into like a six-year-old self, you actually learn to self-talk and reach in and reparent and give those parts of you or that child or that teenager what they never got when they were growing up because parents were either neglecting, abandoning, or they were shaming you and they were abusing you. So this is our opportunity through this reparenting work, and I call it through self-talk, that these places are more healed and regulated so that we're living in action in our lives today rather than reactive behavior, reaction. One of the things I hear you saying is that there is this opportunity to to really check in with the different parts of of who we are or who a, a client is that we may not pay attention to generally. So, and I'm thinking actually of parts work with uh, Dick Schwartz and all the good yes. work of uh, inter- yep. internal family systems and yeah, right. And one of the questions that I sometimes will check in with a client when I, I think they might be regressing a bit is how old do you feel right now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And when you do that, I mean, I, I remember some people look at me and they're like, what? And I'll say, you know, this may sound like a crazy question, but how old does this feel? And so I remember one of my clients looked at me and he goes, this is how I felt when I was five years old and my mother left me. And I was like, holy cow, it's just unbelievable. And he was pacing in my office and he was like a nervous wreck and he was almost close to tears. And I could tell he moved into this place. And really what was needed is for him when we he sat down and he would breathe and regulate his body, his nervous system, was the ability to, like I said, go in with this functioning self and reach in and reparent that scared little kid that was five that really needed uh, someone there to help regulate him and say it was going to be okay. And, um, and that's, that's the parts work that we talk about. Mm -hmm. So along these lines, let's say I'm going to stay with sex addiction because that's part of what What we both know and see. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone started to see porn when they were seven or eight years old. And mm-hmm. they got very immersed in, in porn. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. It was a, an escape. It mm-hmm. was a way to invite friends over and, mm-hmm. and create some secrets and, and some double lives, that kind of thing. 
the idea of developmental immaturity, uh, sometimes people will say that someone, like especially with addictions, gets stunted at the time. Arrested. That they, arrested. Can you say more about that arrested development, yeah, so to speak? They get, they get stuck or arrested in that place. And, and that's um, when you grow into being an adult and you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, it's not great being arrested when you, in your seven or eight year old self or your 14 year old self that's compulsive. And that's, that's the uh, most important thing is that the functioning self that does the reparenting needs to reach in and set really firm limits about what can be and teach how to be relational. Because I know, so I have um, clients that are in recovery for sex addiction and they use the computer because that's all they had. They were left alone. They got a computer when they were eight years old and they got onto pornography and that's their whole life. And now they're trying to have a relationship with their wife and they don't know how to do it. If they've been, they're arrested in this state that they're in. So, so much needs to be reconnected and reparented and it's essential. And the term functional shell, functional self is one that not all of our listeners know. So can you say a little bit more about how that functional self um, takes care of maybe this wounded child? Yeah. So the functioning, remember earlier when we were talking about the functioning adult self, your healthiest self, that's how I talk about, is the one that's, that's regulated and grounded in the body. It's using what I call mindfulness, like looking with curiosity and no judgment about, wow, look what's going on with me right now. And living in the middle of those five core practices and really in the reparenting piece, it's being able to go into that part that's arrested or that teenager that's acting out and to step in and do through self-talk this whole way of reparenting in a healthy way by setting limits and saying, we are not doing this right now. We're going to stop this. We're going to now we're going to go and we're going to get out of the house and we're going to go to a group and uh, a meeting or we're going to go relate to people. Or we're going to be in a, a men's group or a women's group, something where I learn how to be relational. We're not going to sit and be on this computer and be alone and isolate and feel more miserable. So that's the that's really the functioning adult self is how they start going in with setting limits for uh, dysfunctional or acting out behavior. And for really the younger parts that let's say are brokenhearted or are hurting or in a lot of pain or were abandoned, it's really about validating, affirming, and nurturing that place and saying you have inherent worth and you're a precious, you know, little five-year-old and you have, you matter. I'm so sorry that in your family, no one saw you. So it's really about a way of being with yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's partially about the reparenting and it's partially about the hyper empathy piece. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I also was caught by the expression standing in their truth and I mm -hmm. wasn't sure exactly what 
that referred to because I think people <laughs> sometimes talk about living in your truth or standing in your truth. But how does right. that, how does that fit within the context of of our conversation today? Sure. Well, that's the last piece um, of the work that Pia would call feelings reduction. And what I found is that's a very empowering exercise. And I can't remember what chapter it is in my book, but it's it's really about now that I have my story straight and I understand there are these parts that adapted that now I'm going to reparent, I need to stand in my truth and through, it's actually a gestalt exercise. It comes from way back with Fritz Perls, who did a lot of gestalt, empty chair work. And what you're really doing is you're standing in your truth as you know it now and being able to hold your parents accountable for the, the impact that they had on you when you were growing up. And it's an energy exercise. And it's also, I think, so much of any addiction, there's so much shame involved in it. And some of that shame is not genuinely the shame that the child had growing up. It's really what the parents did in relationship to their child, either through abusing them or shaming them or neglecting them, which kids start feeling like there's something wrong with me. No one cares about me. So that that is a whole way of being able to give back uh, some of the carried feelings that, that you had. So um, that's another piece of getting empowered is what I call it, empowering yourself. I have to add one quote from Brene Brown. Okay. Uh, Brene says, Brene, I, I know we're on a first name basis here because I feel like <laughs> I've been uh, so touched by her and Pia Melody in different yeah. ways. She says, Brene Brown says, we're given shame by others and we heal our shame through others. And mm. that other could be a therapist, it could be a sponsor, it could be a group therapy setting. But really what we're talking about is how do our clients create a different experience so that they can really give the shame back and to know that, that it's a burden that they don't have to carry. Exactly. And so much of that shame isn't theirs. It's, I call it, um, you know, shameless providers mm. that really went too far um, or abandoned and neglected their kids. So kids like kind of think there's something wrong with me. So it is, it's, you know, I know uh, Brene talks about shame resilience. And I think that really some of it is by speaking your truth mm -hmm. and being in a group where you can speak and, and really claim your humanity and know that no one's perfect and, and to be able to talk about it in a way that everybody really is accepting and understands. So I, I, I really agree with that. Mm -hmm. And to know that shame is universal. It's another emotion but it's also oftentimes an emotion that turns into a toxic form that just doesn't belong with us, that it's, it's carried right. shame and the carried I, shame. I, right. And I don't, I don't think we talk enough about the intergenerational elements of shame that get the hand-me-downs and exactly. from the, our parents and our parents, parents and our parents, 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 it's, it's quite a, um, a legacy of, of suffering. And so to, to break the family legacy is really quite brave. Yes. And, and I find when I work this with my clients, 
they are able to speak their truth in a way that they see themselves so much differently and uh, really can stand up for the parts of them and for themselves. So it, um, it is a powerful exercise um, and experience. Right. So I understand, Jan, that gratitude and affirmations are also a vital part of your book and of your method. How, how would you elaborate on that? Well, I believe, uh, you know, through these five core, this creating your healthiest self and the five core practices, I believe uh, in many ways, and this is my personal belief, it is like a spiritual process. And part of um, being, whether it's people believe in a higher power or they believe in a higher purpose, I, I believe that part of that is when we're living in who we really genuinely are through these these practices, that um, a big part of it is having gratitude. And it just naturally starts to arise, I think, in, in people's lives. Gratitude. Um, I talk to people about writing affirmations to get to really start training their brain that, you know, I can affirm myself. And then there's this idea of, I, in my book, I talk about writing a list of all the things to be thankful for. It's so easy to go, oh, today I don't like my outfit. Or today, you know, someone, you know, like slammed the door in my face. But it's so, it we get so myopic. It's so much easier to say, to write a list of all that we can be thankful for and have gratitude. And in recovery, just every little step along the way, too. And we can also think of that exercise or that practice as part of neuroplasticity, right? So if the well-worn path is about complaining, mm -hmm. how do we begin to <laughs> focus on what's right rather than what's wrong? Exactly. And really it is creating new neural pathways. And, and I do also talk about in the last chapter of my book is the mo most important thing I think is, which is really um, getting out and, doing something for other people, <laughs> you know, get out of my little world that I get into. And when I give and I can hold other people with warm regard and with compassion and empathy and get out of my own world, that that's really where uh, this practice uh, of, you know, I think spirituality starts to happen too. Well, on that note, I'm very grateful that you could join us today, Jan. This is terrific. It was really fun to chat, and I hope we'll have other opportunities in the future to talk more at length because we have so much in common. Yes, and thank you so much, Andrew, for having me uh, be a part of this. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening today. It was great sharing the time with my very talented colleague, Jan Bergstrom, and discussing this really vital topic about how childhood trauma and addiction can be healed through the various elements of childhood trauma healing. Jan has written a terrific book that I just want to remind our readers about. It's called Gifts from a Challenging Childhood, Creating a Practice for Becoming Your Healthiest Self. And be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if you have any other topics you specifically would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts. And thanks again for being with us today.